I'm sorry, your more grounded option was magical platform that I can strap rockets to from game where everything's floating, and your less grounded option is a spaceship. <laughs> Because, okay, the, the, the sentence that was about to come out of my mouth was spaceships aren't real, but you know what I meant. Do I? Do I know what you meant? Like Star Wars spaceships aren't real. But the Tears of the Kingdom Zonai tech is? Rockets exist. Okay, we can't keep having that I've got myself in a horrible logical conundrum here. <laughs> Two questions in a row. It sounds like what Blue likes is just rockets, regardless of what kind of thing <laughs> they're attached to. I do just to. like rockets. <laughs> yes, yeah, a consistent theme. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. Red, what are you drinking today? This is like my fourth week in a row, uh, I guess bi-weekly, my eighth week in a row, uh, where it's uh, it's another copycat bottled mocha frap from the Starbucks thing, uh, except this time I also put in some vanilla syrup because I have vanilla syrup, and I where else would I use that if not a coffee drink? So it's just kind of sweet and rich and again, I serendipitously only had whole milk, so it's just a lot. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. Which is good because this is also uh, my second four hours of sleep day in a row, so things you, are going great. You texted me this morning when you woke up. You sent me a screen cap of, like, your sleep app that said you got four <laughs> hours and 40 minutes, and I said, ugh, go back. Well, the, the, <laughs> the crucial part of that screenshot is that it gave me a score, and that score was 69, so... Really, who's who's really winning here? I don't think you. <laughs> Unironically, I greatly enjoy where I've been at for the last couple days. I feel like myself again, staying up till 3 a.m., being extra productive in those secret morning hours. Live your truth, Red. But first, yeah. tell us about the video that you put out on the channel last week. Because oh, we yes. are a YouTube channel that makes YouTube videos. <laughs> and my short-term memory is doing great with day two of four hours of sleep. Um... Yeah, I thought so you were a shining golden god. <laughs> I am a shining golden god, but I'm a shining golden god in the moment. You know, who's got time for recollection? Anyway, uh, it was the Yukiona video. It was uh, it was a little Japanese folktale, uh, which I looked up because I was like, I want something nice and, and short to start the year because my video buffer zeroed out at the end of 2023. So I've kind of been rebuilding it from scratch and uh, trying to get ahead of it, laying the train tracks directly in front of the, uh, the engine, as it were. Um, and the I was me like, experience of making videos. <laughs> yeah, except I take a lot longer for each of my individual videos, so it's much more stressful. <laughs> no, but I, I do genuinely love it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but I was like, I want something that's kind of short and manageable. And I would also like it to be sort of on theme, you know, and there's like two vibes for February. There's there's the, the wintry vibe and there's the Valentine's Day vibe. And mm, I just don't know. I already did Snow Queen. That one's so fun. But like, what can I do? And I was sort of looking around and I was like, oh. This one's perfect. It's both the things I wanted at the same time. Snow uh, Queen bad ending? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that the Yukiona story is very interesting for, for several reasons. Um, for one thing, the Yukiona is a pretty common figure in a lot of Japanese folktales. There's there's a lot of just little, like, yokai stories, basically. They're just, like, weird encounters with spirits. They often get translated as demons, but they don't really have the same connotation. Uh, but most Yukiona stories are almost comedic, where it's like, 
oh, there's this this woman out in the snow. We should invite her in and get her warm by the fire. Why is she melting? Like that kind of thing. Uh, so the uh, the Yukiona folktale that we talked about, the one that Lafcadio O'Hearn wrote, uh, sort of feels a little bit more like it's taking inspiration from like the Crane Bride, which is a different Japanese folktale uh, where... It's another case where it's like, oh, I, I accidentally, like, earned a boon from a magical being and she showed up pretending to be a human and married me. But then I broke the one taboo and she fucked off into the ether and now I'm sad and alone. I'm just imagining, like, the Abbott and Costello and the Yukiona skit where it's just, like, the two of them in a cabin. And then, like, Abbott's doing something and turns around and then Costello has this lady, like, just in the cabin with them. It's like, How, who is this from? And then, like, they're chatting and then suddenly, like, Abbott turns around to do something. He turns back and then she melts. like, Abbott, what did you do? He's like, I don't know. She was sitting there and then she's water. Oh, I should watch Abbott and Costello. That sounds very funny. It's to the best of my ability. That is how that skit would go. I could also see like a Bugs Bunny versus the Yukio in the scenario. That's a little oh, bit similar. Yeah. Like, oh, come in, darling. Warm up from the cold. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I got to get better at my Bugs impression. Mel Blanc, truly a man of a thousand voices. Yeah. Um, oh, so. So I was I was having a lot of fun with this one. And also I was like, this is short, but I have a feeling that every frame of it is going to be complicated uh, because... This and they is were. The, yeah, <laughs> this is the same thing that happened with the Snow Queen. There is truly something that I find very fun about drawing winter landscapes. Uh, this one, I mostly went with like cloudy overcast skies with snow falling. Uh, but like with the Snow Queen, I was like, it needs more Aurora Borealis everywhere. <laughs> so... I don't know. So sometimes Make I just make that shit can't look resist. like an Iceland Airways flight. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, fine. It's fine. It's good to have things to strive for. Anyway, um, but yeah, it, it was interesting. It is kind of fun to me how the more I look into folklore, the more I have to sort of skip over the repeats, as it were, because mm. a lot of folklore. St I've, I've described it as modular, like it's comprised of chunks of story that you just arrange together like there's a reason why something like the sith thompson folklore index can even work like like tv tropes is very much kind of blurred edges and like this trope sometimes does this but there are ways to play with it whereas folklore it's like this is the secret supernatural wife where you violate the one taboo and then she vanishes that's it there yeah eventually no you just see like the codex of of like itemized tropes mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, before you in every single uh story i was looking through one i wish i could remember the specific details it was um it was basically a variant of the lindworm myth structurally, which is a childless woman is given a supernatural aid in the form of two flowers, told to only one eats both, has one perfect child and one imperfect child, and they are twins. Uh, except in this one, instead of being a kick-ass dragon, uh, the imperfect child is just very ugly, uh, but she and her twin sister get along great, and it's actually extremely sweet. Uh, and then there was a bunch of adventures they went on, which was very much modular folklore episode one of, like, 57. Yeah. Uh, her perfect sister's head briefly gets stolen. She has to go on a quest to get it back. Uh, at one point, they both marry princes, and then the prince is like... Uh, the prince is like, you know, she's like a, she's a hero, but she's so ugly and she's got this spoon and she's riding this donkey and I don't get it. And the lady was like, guess what? I could actually be supernaturally gorgeous riding a beautiful horse and holding this scepter, but I choose to be ugly. And he's like, cool, I like you more now. And I was like, oh, I don't think that's the moral that they should have. But that's the thing, like... <laughs> 
I, I was like, this is such a weird story, but it's made of pieces of stories I've already retold on the yeah. channel. If I just like, you know, sometimes I, I got to be tactical about these things. And in that specific case, I was like, this is so weird, but it really is Lindworm Redux with a bunch of weird bullshit in the middle. <laughs> so um, folktales are really interesting. I, I can see why people go down the rabbit hole of just trying to sort of trace the taxonomy of where they come from and how they evolved because it yeah. really is it almost feels like biological evolution after a certain point it's like like stories get passed down through generations of people so they sort of evolve alongside us in a certain way you know as cultures drift as families move around or die out uh as cultures clash or meet and then re um reform in weird ways there was an article that I read about the Yukiona story, which uh, I didn't really include in the video because, frankly, I didn't really agree with it. Uh, but it was basically this person who was analyzing the folk tale on the assumption that Lovecadio Hearn made it up more than he said he did. Oh. Like, rather than being told this story by somebody, it was they were drawing parallels to like a, a French poem that Lovecadio Hearn was very attached to that he like taught to his students when he was teaching them, when he was supposed to be teaching them English, which was about like a moonbeam casting down into a child's room. And the moon is like, hey kid, I'm gonna give you like a cocktail of fairy tale blessings and curses of like, oh, you're always gonna be searching for something that you don't understand. And the person who was writing this this paper was like tying it in with Lafcadio Hearn's deeply fucked up and tragic life. Uh, I said in the in the little notes at the end of the video, like his Wikipedia page has a section on abandonment and then a section on further abandonment. Like this man, truly heartbreaking. <laughs> so they were kind of like, yes, if we draw this together, this this, this person half remembering a, a strange confrontation with a feminine figure when Lafcadio Hearn was abandoned by his mother. And I was like, this is smelling a little Freudian to me. And I don't think yeah, I like that. But that's, there a little, is, that's a little much. But there is something interesting there. Lafcadio Hearn had a very complicated life and moved around a lot. And the story he told of the Yukiona is not quite like any other story of the Yukiona that I can find in Japan. It's like a lot of other stories but not about the Yukiona. And it's it's like a lot of other structures, but not so much about the specific like snow maiden thing. Though the the characterization of them is typically a little bit different. So you look at this and you're like, first of all, you have to throw out the idea of there being a true version, an original version. It's it's being like that that would be the equivalent of being like, what's the true human? Like what is the what is the one person that everyone else is just a weird... I mean, I guess that, that gets into As like a native proto-Indo-European speaker myself, I can speak <laughs> to this with authority. <laughs> but it is kind of interesting to me to, to see how these things all drift and change, but you start just... The, like, you read like a dozen folktales and you start being able to see that almost every folktale is a remix of these things. Um, and it's just so, so interesting to me. Uh, and I almost wonder how much of it is just like lost context, you know, because nowadays, especially now that we've sort of moved away a little bit from oral tradition towards written traditions, uh, you get a lot less drift and a lot less like this is a story my father told me and now I'll tell it to you as I remember it, which is the kind of thing that will change absolutely every time you do it. Um, but now it's like this is the book that my father read to me and now I'm going to read it to you and the experience is different. Um, anyway, I could keep going off on tangents all day long, and in fact, I am stalwartly resisting the urge to talk about the Princess Bride now, so, uh, <laughs> it makes sense. It actually, that's a pretty clear logical leap from the thing we were just talking about, but I'm sparing you all. Tune into the ass when I talk about how I only have gotten through the intro of the Princess Bride. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, we'll loop back to that in the After After Show show. Uh, if you're a patron, you can go check that out uh, yeah. on our Patreon page right this very second. Yes, um, thank you for clarifying what I meant by the ass. <laughs> of course. Real ones, no, but still. I will never leave you hanging like that. <laughs> That's such an unfortunately phrased sentiment. <laughs> ah, I'm the one who chose to name it that, I think, so. It was. I think it was a team effort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't, like, fucking presidential veto it. I was like, no, we're calling it the ass. No, no, we all agreed. But I think it was my stupid idea in the first place. I'll believe that. And in I'm any case, for it every uh, day. the other video that we had on the channel was uh, similarly in the realm of stupid shit. Um, <laughs> was my video from uh, a time of recording today on the yeah. Leaning Tower of Pisa, which I don't even know how I decided that I wanted to make a video on this. I think it was like, I want to talk about something stupid. You know what? Fine. Fuck it. Leaning Tower of Pisa. Because I never had it on my list of like stuff that I really deeply want to talk about. But at one point, I guess I was looking at it somewhere in January and thought, you know what? Yeah, you. You're next. (laughs) You. Crunch. Oh, man. It definitely fit the formula of us being like, I don't know if there's really going to be anything to talk about this. And then being like, I actually love this a lot. Here's all the details. Yeah. So it's always a good sign. I'm glad that I was able to kind of get to the the thesis of like, okay, you know, it's the meme, tower can't stand up straight, ha ha, but actually look at it for a second, and it's really, really pretty. And the, the thread that I saw a couple times in the comments was people not realizing that it was quite that old, because it looks like something that would have gotten, you know, thrown up in the Renaissance or later. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh no, this is like high medieval way beyond what anyone else was capable of building aesthetically or engineering-wise, granted. <laughs> engineering was maybe not the most uh, <laughs> uh, uh, solid job. Um, I was Sometimes architecture some... is a little bit more art than science. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes people say that and then they're wrong. Um, <laughs> but I was pointing out in, in the, the Discord, talking about stuff in the new video discussion channel, that the foundation for the tower is just some more marble blocks twice the size or twice the width of the walls it's not even it's like it's still hollow in the middle the base is really not that large usually when you have a large foundation you want to like spread it out so that you're not just putting a bunch of weight in one tiny point because that makes it more likely you're going to fall over but looking at like a cross section of the building the foundation is truly terrible they should have known immediately that was never (laughs) going to work but oh well such is life um I was happy with the way that I was able to kind of construct it. Like, oh, you know, here's why they decided to build this. Pisa was actually a big deal in the early medieval period before Venice and Genoa ate their lunch. Um, And then uh, how did they actually go about building it? Why were there so many gaps in the construction? Why is it that had they not taken those gaps in the construction, granted unwillingly, the building would have almost certainly fallen over because the way that the construction worked, the soil had time to settle in between the phases. So they would build for like six years and then the building would kind of move around a bit, the soil would settle and then it would kind of solidify again and then they'd build again. Whereas if they were building it all in one go, it would have just, it would have just toppled. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so crazy to think that had they built it faster, it would have just fallen over. 
I mean, some of this has got to be survivorship bias, right? Like those planes coming back with the bullets. Because uh, it's like, surely this is not the only time in history somebody built a tower with insufficient foundations and it started listing pretty heavily. But I think this is probably the only one that had the correct combination of like, oh, we had to stop construction and it made the ground under it settle and now we actually stand a chance. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Because yeah. surely, especially before the mathematics that underpins architecture got worked out, there had to have been a lot of cases where people were like, that looks about right, and just fully boofed it. Like, yeah, it, it has to have happened. Yeah. yeah the, it, the it stands up like... for a while, and then, like, a particularly stiff breeze or a minor earthquake happens, and the whole thing collapses, and everyone's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. People will sometimes go to, like, oh, you know, Roman roads and bridges are still working perfectly, whereas our modern stuff is crap and falls apart after 20 years. It's like, well... On the one hand, uh, modern roads take, like, a gazillion times more weight and force than any Roman road ever did. Mm. Because there's so many cars and trucks and heavy things driving on modern roads all the time. But the, the thing with, Red, to your point, ancient engineering is the stuff that is even remotely still around is the stuff that was so over-engineered that it's basically going to last forever. Because when you're building a bridge, you don't know how to do the force calculations to make it just stable enough to withhold the amount of weight that it will get in, you know, like 20 years of natural life. You, you're going to over-engineer the fuck out of it because you build one bridge and it falls and you're like, well, I guess I need 40 times the, the support to make <laughs> this thing stand up. When really yeah. you maybe needed like one and a half. And it's like, okay, now it has 40 times the support it's going to stand forever and there are you know a couple hundred of those a couple hundred uh, a couple thousand of those you know in the world ancient structures that are really over designed to fucking back and they're still there not yeah. because they were better but because they just kind of threw bricks at the problem and this one happened to stay standing i mean it's part of the reason why pyramids are one of the things that stick around the longest a pyramid is already the shape a thing will collapse into so if you start from pyramid and then it, like, the rocks shift a little bit. There's nowhere to go, baby. <laughs> Gravity's there, on your side for a change. Yeah, there was there was one pyramid from from early in the dynasties that <laughs> that famously did like collapse partway through. Um, so, or no, it was they were building two periods like concurrently, and one of them collapsed. And then the engineers who were working on the second pyramid that hadn't finished yet were like, oh, fuck, we got to change our angles. So they had it Is this be one that they made? They were making the it too pyramid. pointy. So they, yeah. they like dramatically reduced the angle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, exactly shit, it. shit, shit, taper it in, taper it in. <laughs> you make it all and gravity's not on your side anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. But I, I had a lot of fun looking at the um, uh, the design uh, of of this because I, I I've been to Pisa before for a trip that my my dad and I took and I, I was not impressed when I went I was distinctly not impressed <laughs> you didn't I take was like the photo 13. with your hand up holding oh it I up? did oh. it was it was the same as everyone else's and I was like well I don't know enough to understand why this is interesting and I remember like oh like the church is cool tower is pretty stupid and of course i didn't have the context to understand why like a building like this from the you know 1100s was centuries ahead of everything else that was built during the time it just it looked old to me and that's as far as i got with it i only paid attention to it insofar as it was the the leaning one but going back to look at this like oh like it's got the marble work it has the the decorative elements that match on the tower and on the church itself there's this really nice parody of of the design language on both structures so they feel like a cohesive whole um the 
what was I going to say? Um, the like the balcony on the tower matches the colonnade around the like second and third uh, floors of the church itself, with like the little um, colonnaded like facade on the front, which is really cool. Um, there's all this really interesting um, perspective or not uh, perspective, a uh, proportion work with the apse of the church, the little circular part in the back being the exact same diameter as the tower, which makes them really cohesive. Like all these subtleties that I never would have noticed before. Looking at it now, I'm like, oh no, this is really cool, and I I enjoyed being able to kind of explain some of those, but it it risks being the thing where if you explain it, you. You, you kill the joke a little bit. So mm -hmm. I had to strike the balance of like, how do I convey why this is interesting without being like, and you see here, there's an arch on it and it's made of stone. And then it's got a little shape. So it, I, I was trying to strike the balance of, of explaining a thing without just like talking at the audience. And that's mm -hmm. a little bit tricky. Part of what I like about videos is that I can let just the thing kind of show itself. Um, as opposed to like having to describe something in a book is is tough. It's like it's, it's just a simple shape, but then when you try to write it down in yeah. prose, it's like impossible to convey. Yeah, I do. I'm think losing that... the thread here. No, no, I, I think that uh, frankly, I, I think that you might have been a little bit over worried about that because I'm pretty sure that most people are like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That's the one that looks like it's gonna fall down. Like the amount to which I certainly never regarded the architecture of the tower. I was like, yeah, that's the stacked up tower that looks like it's gone tip. And like, it's very kind of surprising to learn that actually it's also a pretty building that unfortunately yeah. is listing slightly heavily to the side. I feel like the only thing I'm a little bit like, like torn about is like, what do we do if and when, you know? If oh, and when gravity another. wins. That, that's really another. what I think is going to happen. I think that if it falls over, someone will just build or try to build one with the purposefully like matching the lean. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll drill piles into the ground this time like smart people and mm. just build it normally with modern engineering or I guess for 300 years from now engineering because that's probably when it will next need work. Unless something goes catastrophically wrong, we'll just be able to do the same procedure again. I'm kind of hoping that in the next hundred years, when when it, when it hits the big one thousand, I think that would be really perfect if it if it just lasted goes. just that long. And it's like at last I'm free. God. But I it's it, it's not the first time we've done that. I mean, the the big bell tower in Venice collapsed in in nineteen hundred. There was like an earthquake or something, and it just mm. it just broke. So the one that's there now is just a brand new construction, and that's why there's an elevator in it. <laughs> <laughs> that would do it. So uh, if and when we just we just rebuild it, it's expensive. I mean, half of Germany is like that. It's like this is an ancient cathedral that was built in the 1950s after the war. Oops, that's an own goal uh, a little bit on that one. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, ship atheist. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's still standing. The fact that when they were doing the... Uh, the restoration work they they had to make sure that they kept the lean for the aesthetic is pretty hilarious but yeah overall a uh, good little little piece of marble work there uh fun bit of architecture to uh chat about but before we uh move right along we got a couple plugs to mention first off uh is we are partway through our sale of um, Eros and Psyche enamel pins, which is very mm -hmm. exciting. They've got glitter in their wings, which is the first time we've tried that out. So that's so uh, really fun to, to see. see when the renders came back, it was like, oh, that's great. Ooh. Love that. Um, we also have a special Valentine's Day edition uh, pink uh, Sung Wukong toy yeah. um, from Doomco Designs. Uh, and then um, 
I don't actually know when the episode is going up, but we are doing a Percy <laughs> Jackson special edition uh, with a couple of fun guests. So if you have any questions about uh, Percy Jackson, the books, Lightning Thief, the adaptation, um, the only adaptation of the Lightning Thief to live no, action. No, I'll take that recent... bullet. If you want to talk about the movies too, Fire Oak, I've watched both of them. I've watched yeah, the first uh, one like three times. If you have questions, throw them in the Ask OS pod chat uh, and Indigo will pick them out for us to talk about. But yeah. uh, with that said, let's move on to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Heck yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely, lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Space Wizard. Too blue, are you enjoying your Cleo mug? <laughs> uh, I, it has not arrived yet. No. <laughs> I, I surely will uh, once I get it, um, but not yet. Hopefully, by the next uh, next OS pod, I'll be able to uh, to brandish it proudly. I don't know what my thirst for destruction is today, but my first thought was like, wouldn't it be funny if Cleo sees it and is just like, it must die? <laughs> there can only be one. <laughs> yeah. I did show her the design on my screen like last week and she did not seem to acknowledge that it was her mm. on the pythos <laughs> well that makes yes. sense we don't know if cats pass the mirror test because cats don't give a shit in general so yeah so he likes to shadow box my mirror at like 3 a.m but i don't think that's her comprehending that it's not her and it, i think she just likes the sound it makes so <laughs> tests are inconclusive uh but this next question comes from autumn evergreens to all favorite type of chocolate it's just Valentine's Day. Anyone get some chocolate boxes uh, heading their way or picked up some treats discounted on the 15th? Uh, now's your mm -hmm. chance to tell us what kind of chocolate you like best. I generally like dark, but not like yeah. the, the crazy like macho mm -hmm. levels of dark where it's just bitter. Yeah, um, it's not like the dark where you're, you've got something to prove. <laughs> <laughs> I like really dark chocolate with like a fruit flavor mixed in, like a cherry yeah, or a raspberry, because I feel like that sort of tartness and the bitterness work really well together. But also yeah. I think I have a higher bitter tolerance than most people do. <laughs> I don't Probably. know that that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. For me, like, I don't know if you guys have this, but for me, milk chocolate has this weird like acridity to it a lot of the time. Mm. Like it's very sweet, but it's kind of almost got this like this harshness. Um and I don't often get that in the more smooth dark chocolate. That might just be a quality of chocolate thing, to be honest, because no, I don't that's, tend to... There's definitely something there. Like, when I when I eat white chocolate, I feel like I am just eating butter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. White chocolate, I kind of like some days. You, it's like eating Swiss cheese, you know? Like, there's nothing there, but it's kind of nice. I think it's good in stuff. Yeah. Like, when you have, like, a like an oatmeal white chocolate uh, and, like, craisin cookies cyan makes those and they're mm. really good like that i enjoy but white chocolate on its own or even like anything that's white chocolate forward to use like obnoxious food terminology <laughs> uh is is just is just too much i like dark chocolate i'm in that kind of like, like that 50 to 70 percent range um mm. i got some chocolate for a uh, christmas gift um uh, Cyan's family did a little secret Santa and I, I loudly said at Thanksgiving whoever has me just give me chocolate that's literally that's it <laughs> just give me chocolate and then uh, one of Cyan's sisters now husband was like yep got it and then sent me a box of chocolate and it was great <laughs> and I realized oh milk chocolate white chocolate really not as much of a fan I'm, I'm more into like the, the the little more sweet but still in the in the dark 
range. And then mm-hmm. indigo, you're exactly right. Like pair it with the fruit, a fruit, like a little fruit. raspberry and, and you're A little set. raspberry, a yeah. little cherry. Yeah. It's, it's the best. Mm-hmm. A little something, something extra. Um, yeah. But we got more questions to get to. This one comes from Spaghetti Tupperware. To all, what are your thoughts on video game adaptation movies, particularly on the upcoming <sighs> Minecraft and Legend of Zelda films? So thoughts Minecraft. on... Minecraft? Minecraft? There's nothing there! <laughs> That's not true. There's a lot of really interesting lore implied by the environmental storytelling, the fact that the land is completely empty, the fact that you look more like the zombies than you do the villagers, uh, the abandoned nether portals that imply some kind of mass exodus out of this dimension. Uh, but no, there's no fucking plot. Come on, guys. What are we doing here? Uh, but yeah, Sorry, thoughts Indigo, on continue. video game <laughs> thoughts on video game adaptation movies. I think they're almost all bad, but that's not really their fault. Uh, I think that adapting stories from one medium to another is deceptively really hard, and mm-hmm. some stories are perfect for one medium and not perfect yeah. for another. There are a lot of video games where I'm like, I would get no benefit from playing this, so I'll just watch somebody play it. You know that kind of thing. I, I just watched through yeah. the. Um, uh, uh, Gel Apocalypse uh, fully voiced In Stars and Time playthrough because In Stars and Time looks like a game that would frustrate the hell out of me to play by design, but I was really interested in the story, so I just watched the whole thing, and I was like, hell yeah, this is exactly what I wanted. Um, but that's also a game that is so baked into the mechanics of games that adapting it into a movie would completely miss the whole time loop, ludonarrative harmony Yeah, thing. I think that the problem with like adapting a video game to a movie in particular, because it, like... Any work of adaptation is going to be difficult and is certainly possible with the deft hand and eye for what makes a story work. But like video games have such a deeply rooted and important element of like interactivity of like literal audience participation that you just can't capture in a movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. It makes it very difficult to make the same story work cross medium. It's certainly possible. Um, in some cases, at in least. some cases, and yeah. like there are ways to definitely like story light games, like you know, for all the hate it got, the Mario movie is not the worst thing that's ever existed, and I am the I personally yeah, I love am the a '90s Super Mario so Bros. defender, but like, <laughs> do I think it's great? No, but it's probably one of the better video games to adapt oh, just yeah. because it is so story light that you can kind of just play very loose and liberally with like the visuals and then whatever the story is is what the story is whereas also, like, i unironically enjoyed the hell out of the live action street fighter movie <laughs> i hey i'm a 90s mortal Kombat defender to the day i die i love when johnny cage is on that high low bar okay those movies again that one's great yeah very story i like that they kicked light. him into hell and hell had a high low bar for hell him had just, a high low in bar for yeah. just in case I, and like it really work. is a question of of vibes because mm-hmm. yeah exactly when you are you know adapting a book to a movie or you know, anything, you know, like written to anything more visual, you are kind of, there's a trade-off, there's always something that you are gaining and losing, Um, you know, with with getting out of print, you are losing the audience imagination aspect where you are having to show everything to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas when you're going from games to any other form of medium, you know, let's say uh, a game to a show or a game to TV, mm-hmm. it's still, you know, visually, it's basically parody. It's, it's, it's uh, parity, not parody. Oh, um, it's, it's just, you know, graphics to live action, essentially. It's pretty much the same, but what you are losing is the element of interactivity, which makes it so much of a game. So when you're adapting like Sonic, you can adapt <laughs> that to a movie and people seem to like it. Uh, Resident Sonic Enjoyer Red can confirm. <laughs> they hit because... it out of the park both times. Yeah. They did. And, and there's a third the one on the one way time. this year, which <laughs> yeah. is crazy. 
Shadow. Um, I mean, but, we get Dune Part 2 in like two weeks, but really what I'm holding out for is seeing Shadow on the big screen. <laughs> yeah, but there are a lot of games that just don't work at all without the aspect of play, and it's hard to tell which one of those games it's going to be, because you get mm -hmm. something like The Last of Us, which is very much, you know, the, the air of, like, oppressiveness, you're, you're scrounging for ammo, how do you convey that in a show? In this case, the answer is make the show just, like, fucking miserable, and then <laughs> well, you can capture that... that well, yeah, but even much more so than the game was, and you can mm -hmm. capture that same vibe of what you lose through the gameplay harshness, you get through added harshness in the show. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I don't have any ones that really stand out to me as, like, I really, really liked, um, mostly because I just don't dip into it enough to, to have strong, valid opinions on it that are informed mm -hmm. by having watched the stuff. The weird ones to me are the ones that had a completely cinematic story already. Mm -hmm. Like, no branching paths, no alternate endings. It was just a, like, you, the player, are just moving the protagonist from start point to end point. Mm -hmm. That you could absolutely moveify easily. I'm still amazed that I've never even heard a little bit of noise about trying to do that shit with Metal Gear. It would be so easy. Mm. Oh, yeah. it's, it already exists. <laughs> um, but it does but sort like, of beg the question then of like, well, well, then why do we need to just put this, like, why do we need all these cutscenes in order on the big screen? And like, yeah. I've granted, do I think every major motion picture studio asks that question before they do things? No, I think it gets <laughs> no. to the scientist in Jurassic Park problem. But like, when you are doing a work of adaptation, you're trying to present the story in a way that it will reach either a new audience, a bigger audience, or will connect with an audience in a way that it didn't in its previous in incarnation. And like, when you're not the person controlling the little guy going from scene to scene, there is a level of like, well, that's not me, so I'm not connecting with it just based on the same story beats. Like, you do need mm -hmm. to change something. And I think that's why we don't get as many of those like, direct story one-to-one -one video game movie adaptations. Yeah. That's why you get a lot of those like, Mario Bros and Sonic yeah. and well, that's, like that's Tomb Raider did that. Part of what I think works is if you do like a tie-in almost where it's like, mm -hmm. like Dragon Age Absolution. It was just a little six episode miniseries. I've never played Dragon Age. This is not the plot of any of the games. It obliquely references that thing that the player character did that one time. And then that's yeah. all we hear about. It's it. very similar to like the case with Arcane where it's like, I yeah. mean, that's I, exactly what I was going to say. I've never uh, interacted yep. with League of Legends in any other capacity. So I'm like, it's correct. Yeah, that's I correct got, choice. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I enjoyed also, the story in the way that it was presented. But my understanding is that this is not the plot of the games, so it sort of worked. Mm -hmm. So good that I forgot it even counted. Castlevania. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Which is, it's a video game adaptation, but it is so like, let's take the vibe of this game and run with that, rather than yeah. trying to slavishly adapt any particular, I know it's a lot of like Dracula's Curse and stuff like that, that's in the the original uh, But it's series, a good example but... of pulling inspiration from this is this yeah. game, this has this story, mm -hmm. let's expand this out and add more to it and that makes it a good telling. Maybe the thing that we're landing on is if you're going to adapt a video game, you might as well just make it like a TV series because you'll yeah. have the time to explore time, the alternate yeah. endings and put in the And don't go eggs. one for one, unless you're the last of us, don't go one for one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think what we're coming down on is it basically uh, there is no one way to do it right or wrong. Mm -hmm. People have done faithful mm -hmm. adaptations like Last of Us that worked really well. People have done um, unfaithful adaptations or, you know, expansion adaptations like Dragon Age Absolution or Arcane that worked really well. People yeah. have done theoretically faithful adaptations that sucked ass like the Assassin's Creed movie. Oh, and people God. have done oh. things uh, that look like they uh, are. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry for reopening that one. Uh, but, like, but people have also done, like, this is going to look kind of like it, but also... 
it's not actually going to have any of the soul, like the Uncharted movie, which is just oh, a, not a good movie. This is horrible. Like, it's, it's so not sad. even. It's not just that it's not a good adaptation. It's also not a good movie just yeah. in general. Just yeah. go um, watch the 20-minute Nathan Fillion movie instead. Yeah. <laughs> But also, oh man, because you brought up Castlevania. Yeah. I don't remember if I mentioned this. When Magenta and I were watching it together, we were sort of like taking the piss out of it. But Magenta knows the Castlevania game is a lot better than me. So she was pointing out like, oh, yeah, that, that's that yeah. bit. That's that bit. That's great. When the when the orchestral version of Bloody Tears started mm, yeah. in the fight, Ooh. I started to say something and she shushed me. And we just <laughs> sat there and watched in silence for the entire fight. As a very long time Castlevania fan, like th- that series did a very good job of including exactly enough from the games that if you were a fan you would be like this is for me and if you yeah. weren't you wouldn't know it is and it would just be a cool musical piece um yeah but yeah no i think we would all love to see our favorite games have good adaptations and get like to see Metal them do fun gear. things Metal gear. <laughs> but i think that we're all pretty realistic about like what the challenges of adaptation are whether it's from a video yeah. game to a movie or anything else um, but i think the really fascinating thing for me with video games is that like element of interactivity that you just can't recapture on yeah. any other medium and that's it, that's where people get stuck up in my opinion with a lot of video yeah. game adaptations to, to the original asking of the question the one that shocks me that they're going for it i mean like in in one sense it makes perfect sense doing a zelda movie oh yeah is like how do you capture that because what we've learned from seeing various games try to take on aspects of zelda in different ways is that it means something completely different to everybody especially in a post breath of the wild world mm. where there are so many different kinds of zelda game now where there's the original format in the open air and then everything in between what what is the guiding principle of a Zelda movie even? I don't know where they'd even start. <laughs> That's the thing. The Zelda games have a formula, but it is a very, very simple one. It's just yeah. the bones. It's the hero, princess, bad guy, uh, hero comes from humble origins, chosen one, proves himself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's very simple, but they can take that formula and apply it to a whole bunch of different things up to the point of Breath of the Wild where they're like, all that happened, but you lost. We're in the basketball timeline now. Good fucking luck. Like that (laughs) kind of thing. Um, But like the thing is, when I try to envision a perfect Zelda movie, uh, I just keep looping back to like, just fucking give it to Studio Ghibli, specifically give it to to Studio Ghibli three years ago. And I think we'll get something good. And also like, this might be a bit of a hot take. I don't think Link should talk in the movie everyone's like oh he has to talk he's gonna be the main character of the movie it's like i don't fucking care give me like like a like an old west hero who never says more than a single word at a time let him use sign language i don't give a fuck i don't i try to imagine what link would sound like if he talked and it doesn't happen anytime i see a version of link that talks i'm like that's not my boy that doesn't work for me he doesn't have a voice in my head for for even a comparison's sake superman and batman v superman 47 lines john wick in john wick 4 like 40 lines in the whole goddamn movie you don't need to make the man talk even with a speaking character they don't need to talk that much it is fascinating to me that you just knew that offhand it's it's not exactly 40 it's a little more than that i forgot what the number is but it's fucking low and keanu reeves is like we can cut my lines like cut it down i I don't need to talk that much yeah yeah (laughs) yeah well we have a lot of thoughts on that shit yeah Turns out we've all seen movies and played video games. <laughs> no, that's crazy. Uh, well, this next question comes from Constantine Two Red in Aurora. Why does Kendall or Vash technically buy shirts from the same store as Nathan Drake from Uncharted? 
because I needed to feel represented and Red made this choice as an offering to me in particular. It's so funny to me that anytime I'm just like, I'll just do this because it looks right to me. 10 years down the line, I learned that this is a real thing. <laughs> I don't remember the exact time. I, I remember actually, it was when I was drawing your avatar for the first time and you were, I, what's the name of the neckline? Henley. It's a Henley. Yeah, I thought so. You were like, it's got a Henley neckline. I was like, what's that? And you sent me like a reference image and I was like, oh, huh. <laughs> so that's what that's called. Because <laughs> I'd already been drawing Kendall with that for fucking years at that point. <laughs> there was like a cursed first draft version of his outfit that didn't have that. But anyway, so so that was very funny where I had this odd moment of like, like glitch in the matrix. <laughs> so. Yeah, Kendall with a crew neck is not it. <laughs> it. It was worse than that, but we don't need oh, to get okay. into that. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, God, that's so funny. Very nice. Well, this next question comes from Adamantium Star. To all, you guys' deity pins are decorating the cork board in my office at work, and I give Loki any important notes I have to hold on to. Surely nothing bad can come of that. Apollo and Hermes are holding up my first aid certificate. Which of the gods you've made pins of would you trust with important notes and documents? Uh, Loki's guarding question. my Wi-Fi password post-it note. Um, Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, I'm just going to, like, glance at my corkboard real quick. Is there what's on the pins? I'd probably use the constellation ones to set, like, important reminders for specific days or trips or something mm. like that. Yeah, pin them Feels up by right. your calendar or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, you could use it as, like, a, um... I was going to say, like, you can pin it on your curtains, but that's just a waste of curtains at that point. Yeah, You're just putting yeah. holes in your curtains. Um, I'm going to give Athena my to-do list. Ooh, that's a good one. That's good. I think depending on which god pin you stick your grocery list under, it might end up a little bit influenced. Say, it's like, yeah, oh, Dionysus. I pinned it up with Dionysus, <laughs> and now there's just a lot of vodka in my shopping cart somehow. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Wine, please. Let's, mm, let's keep wine. it legit. If you have a bread basket, you can put a little uh, Demeter pen on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're planning Those on little canvas bags you take for reusable grocery runs. I do oh, like because um, Gilgamesh and Enkidu are fist bumping that you could conceivably have it like position it in the Leaning Tower of Pisa picture way like so that their fists are holding up your documents, <laughs> oh, which could be very fun. If you oh, wanted I to like get it. a little bit less literal with it. Yeah. Very, very true. Yeah, that's a good... What could Hades and Persephone be doing? Minding their business. Yeah. Staying in their lane. Their crops watered, their skin clear. <laughs> Good stuff, yeah, Oliver. I think that's yeah. all yeah, I got. I think, I think we got yeah, it. Some all of right. these are tough because there are a lot of divine domains that are very relevant to the day-to-day, and then there are a lot of divine domains that are much more abstract mm-hmm. and is not like... Sure, Zeus is the thunderer who rules amid the clouds, but I don't, I don't have those in my house. <laughs> Zeus is the god of hospitality. Zeus legitimately, uh, uh, he he's the one who punishes people who uh, hurt their guests or other ways violate the laws. So of he should have your Wi-Fi password, is what you're saying. He should have my Wi-Fi password, but I don't trust Zeus with my internet. So Loki gets it instead. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Put a little well, Zeus in your guest room or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't. On the pillow. Oh, God. God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this next question comes from uh, Alley Cat, two red and blue. Who has the million subscriber gold YouTube play button and who has the silver one? I think I actually have both of them. (laughs) You have both of them and they're not even where you live right now. (laughs) No. (laughs) I can hand one off if you want. 
It's fine. What would I do with it? <laughs> I mean, really, what would I do with it? I think I took a selfie using the reflective part as the mirror once, and then yeah. I just kind of put it away. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool, but unless you want to put it in the background of your videos to flex, there's really nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah you guys exactly. seem to have a very similar attitude about your YouTube play buttons that I have about my bachelor degrees. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know where they are. Someone has them somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this next question comes from Vicky to Red. My mom recently moved into a house that is just across the street from a wide open field and the only artificial light comes from porches. I live in a city oh. suburb and have pretty much told her I'm invading for one week over the summer so we can stargaze. Do you have any advice for first time telescope buyer? Particular brand, specs to look at? Please be specific. I'm going to take notes. So advice for stargazing uh, aspirants. Ooh. Um... So the specific specs of the telescope I use are in the video I made about the um, annular. I remember I was corrected about this. It's not a nuller, even though it should be. The annular eclipse that happened in October. In the video about that, I, I talk about the specific uh, kind of uh, telescope it is. Because I don't remember all the specs off the bat, but I know it is a Celestron travel scope. Uh, I think it's 70 millimeter. That sounds made up. <laughs> what? Celestron, like that sounds like the name of a super weapon in a it's kid's a cartoon. It's a brand name. They're all made up. <laughs> anyway, it's good. Uh, it was a it was a Hanukkah present, and it has served me faithfully. Uh, the one I got has a little clip to attach a phone, so I don't tend to actually look through the scope, but it lets me immediately like get uh, just footage, which is very useful. Yeah, I think. Uh, it, it's pretty good. It comes with its own little backpack. It's pretty easy to get into the rhythm of assembling and disassembling it as need be. Um, I would not recommend trying to use it for solar photography first thing first, because you need to get a very heavy-duty filter for that before you do any sort of pointing a magnifying device at the sun. Again, uh, just the, the Eclipse video yeah. has all this stuff in it. Um, but like, if you get the Celestron travel scope, it has a little tag that comes on the bag that says, don't point this fucker at the sun. Absolutely oh, nice. not. It will. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I... The kind of person I am, if somebody gives me a rule and then doesn't explain why the rule is there and I can't intuit why the rule is there, I will usually just forget about it. Yeah. So I saw the thing that was like, don't point at the sun. I was like, well, that makes sense. You'd magnify the sun. Obviously, if I looked into the scope, it would probably just like immediately blind me. But then I was like, well, maybe it would be okay if I did it just to, with my camera, you know? And then I was like, no, that sounds like a good way to burn a hole in my camera, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't do it. I didn't. I logic through it before I just said, eh, fuck it. That rule's stupid. But it's, it's like, important. <laughs> if this was a cartoon, you would point the telescope at the sun and it would bore a hole through the earth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, for first time scopes, uh, that one's that one's good, I think. Uh, it, it's got some pretty generous magnification. Uh, one of the weirder things that I didn't realize when I first got a telescope is the hardest thing is finding things with it because you look up at the sky you see where it is you get down into the scope you try and point it at where you're looking and it's it's oddly difficult uh so less extreme magnification is good for that and then you can swap out the lenses to zoom in anyway uh yes i i, I would recommend finding one of those bad boys it is pretty solid when you're assembling the telescope, does it feel like you're putting a sniper rifle together? A little bit, yes. Cool. Uh, you know that one uh, that one college humor sketch with like the the ridiculously complicated sniper rifle that Zach is trying to oh, assemble yeah. so he can assassinate Grant. I, that plays in my head every time I put that fucker together. It's great. Um, <laughs> Very good. <Nice>. Well, <laughs> this next question comes from Lady Katie. To all, I was listening back through old episodes, and in one, Blue requested someone ask, "What is your most old Greek lady character trait?" I don't think anyone's asked this yet, and it would be a shame not to. So what is your most old Greek lady character trait? 
what answer did I have in mind when I set this bait You're for a question expert. that I, I have fully forgotten? I think I legally can't weigh in on this. Only you know the true secrets of your mind, Blue. We're not here to answer what? that. We're here to say what... what? We're here to put old, ourselves on blast for old lady traits. Old Greek old lady Greek character lady. trait. What the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> I feel like... Were you like just back from a family vacation or something? Had you Possibly. been dealing with elderly relatives? I Maybe. It was like the ability to... Like, because when you're, when you're older, you can just like kind of tell people to fuck off and they'll listen to you. <laughs> that's... Maybe that's what I was doing, but I... Oh my gosh. <laughs> what the hell was I on about with this? I do have an answer to this if you want to try and go Please back to your ahead. mind Maybe palace that will in the spur me to, to yeah. deeper thought. Um, I am the designated family baklava maker. And while normally I don't think that pride is my deadly sin, come, because uh, we do Greek Orthodox Easter, come Easter when I make the baklava, um, immediately I metamorphosize into a being of pure pride and like no other baklava can touch this. I have like, I have recipe tested this thing to death. It is based on a cookbook that like has been in the family for generations. I'm like I got this shit down. I don't need to look at amounts. I feel in my soul where the amount of honey is like coming from. Like I got this thing down to a rocket science. Uh, and if anyone says their baklava is better than mine, they are incorrect. <laughs> and I think that they, that statement is my most old Greek lady trait. Damn. I guess, I mean, I, I can't speak to old Greek lady traits. Old lady traits have, in general. We can and, open yeah, I don't have an overabundance of old lady traits in general. Um, when I was getting into stargazing, I was definitely in camp. I 100% understand the appeal of just sitting on your porch. Suddenly, mm. I understand how this yeah. can be entertaining. I'm just having a stoop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess it's an old lady trait to watch a fuck ton of Columbo and Murder, She Wrote, back to back. But that's just more of a generation thing. <laughs> that's oh, just man. having taste. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is exclusively an old Greek lady trait, but one of my, my most, like, European traits that I have is that I could, like, sit in a cafe with a drink outside for hours yeah. and i know like yeah, old yeah. greek ladies old mediterranean ladies will always just like go out sit in the cafe just for i know like like the french do this too it's it's it, it's a a more universal thing that i'm giving you credit for right now but um having seen the way that uh elderly greek people um in the the neighborhood where uh, like my greek family is how they act I, I feel like I would I would fit in with that nicely of just go to like a restaurant or a cafe sit I'll come back at like 2 a.m. maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> if, if I get tired. <laughs> awesome. Well, we got what a time, fun mystery we just unraveled. I don't even know if I unraveled it. That was still kind of a shot in the dark. I don't think that's what I had in mind. <laughs> and we may never know. And that, isn't that really the, the most old Greek lady trait that we'll never really have an answer? <laughs> Uh, well, we've got time, I think, for about one last question here. So let's go on to this one from Dragonic Fay. she, her, to all, if you could have a fictional, fantastical moving abode, like in Howl's Moving Castle, for example, what would it be? Please feel the free castle to go. from all Castle right. in the Sky. I win. Fantastical yeah. moving abode. Design. It yep. doesn't have to be one that actually exists. You could make it up. Oh. Or no, you could I think pick my the answer is still <laughs> correct. <laughs> I do sort of like the moving castle. It's I just like the idea that it's constantly 
all the parts of it look like they're constantly shifting and moving at any given moment like it just rocks but i think what i want it to be is a spaceship you know <laughs> yeah yeah i was wondering if you were going to bring up the big airship they all live on in stormhawks but uh <laughs> i i know i bring it up a lot because the show is a thing that has apparently infected my psyche deeply but genuinely like this i could tell you maybe one salient detail from stormhawks and not actually any of the plot and or character names and or what their job what they were doing why they were doing it like really all i remember is mm, magic skateboards in the sky go vroom and like that's it <laughs> yeah i mean i've probably rewatched it more recently than you and i am in the exact same boat i think it's just not the most cohesively put together show. it was a show that it's i liked as a child year old yeah. yeah i remember being like "Ooh, i'm a little artist and i'm starting to draw and i like the style of these guys with their funky big eyes so i'll draw They're them really and big like square eyes really big square eyes and like there's there's a sound on TikTok. It was a meme going around like show your art now and then like what used to grew up doing fan art for. And I'm like not to put myself on blast, but if I do draw a character down, like their eye must be completely enclosed. It's deeply ingrained in me that it must be a solid shape. And it's like why do you do this? And it's because of Stormhawks. Yep, yep, absolutely. But that's what I remember. Not the character names, the plot that they lived on a ship that was a flying around thing. <laughs> well, this is I all mean, mysteries to me. I'm a huge fan of those sort of like almost implied post-apocalypses where it's like nobody lives on the ground. We're all just kind of vibing in cool vehicles, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I do like kind of like a wizard's tower vibe or like a demiplane sort of like you got mm. portals that could be all over the place. Then you go into this space and it, it, it's the bigger on the inside except I haven't watched Doctor Who. So like, you know, like <laughs> that sort of deal. I'm like, I want a room that doesn't exist anywhere, but exists everywhere. And I want to be able to go to it. And it's full of all my stuff. You just reminded me of a very specific chunk of world building I had for the sort of the urban fantasy thing I was futzing around with for a while. Um, which... I I think it's one of those... Th I very rarely, if ever, get inspiration from dreams, but I think this was one of the ones where I had a dream about a very cool, like, little extra-dimensional witch's house mm. that was sort of in this flower field. Like, you're, you're walking through a town, and you take a right, and you're in this other place entirely, and it's completely peaceful, like mountains in the distance. And I was like, when I woke up, I was like, that shit slaps, I gotta codify this. <laughs> um, and it turned into, like, just this cozy little cottage on the extra-dimensional island of Avalon, King Arthur's sleeping the next hill over. Uh, <laughs> and it's just this little witch girl being raised by her mom, Morgan Le Fay, and the Valkyrie she's married to. It's just very, like, kitchen sink urban fantasy, so I had a lot of fun mm -hmm. with it. But in my head, it's very pretty. But I still want Castle in the Sky. <laughs> I'll take it. I if if I had to do like more of a more of a grounded uh, option, I would probably go for like the uh, Tears of the Kingdom, uh, like floating platform. That if I ever want to move it, I just strap a rocket to it and go <laughs> in a direction for an indefinite amount of very time. Very loose um, part of the moving <laughs> element. <laughs> it's a very laborious process, but the vibes are right. Mm. Uh, and if it was really like anything goes, I would want one of the uh, the starships in Star Wars because I, I freaking love mm. the ships in Star Wars so much. It's like a Millennium I, Falcon that you get to play your little chess games in would be so I'm, tight. I, I'm sorry, I'm one of those you're more grounded option was magical platform that I can strap rockets to from game where everything's floating. And your less grounded option is a spaceship. <laughs> Because, okay, the, the, the sentence that was about to come out of my mouth was spaceships aren't real, but you know what I meant. Do I? Do I know what you meant? Like, Star Wars spaceships aren't real. But the Tears of the Kingdom Zonai tech is? 
rockets exist. Okay, we can't keep having that. I've got myself in a horrible logical conundrum here. <laughs> Two questions in a row. It sounds like what Blue likes is just rockets, regardless of what kind of thing <laughs> they're. Do just to. like rockets. Yes, yeah, a consistent theme. But like, which kind of Star Wars ship? Because you've got the Falcon, obviously, for like your, the your best friend's weed van vibe. But like, excellent. Like, what about like that that big. Space Yacht from Solo. Anyone else here watch Solo? Space Yacht yeah. from Solo is pretty cool. Yeah. I like yeah. um I like, I the, like the Jedi Starfighters a lot. Mm. Those are I mean they're, they're they're tiny. There's no room in them, but I like the look of those. Um, kind of an adjacent cuz like I love uh, your best friend's weed van spaceship vibe and the Milano which in the it's the Guardians that's of the good. Galaxy ship. That's good. Uh, that's oh, one yeah. of my favorite spaceship designs of all times and it feels like it'd be so fun to hang out in there. <laughs> it's got rooms. It's big enough that there's a conversation pit. There's a sunken conversation pit in the middle oh, of it. Classic. It's we love pretty a great. I'm like, pit. I want this. I want that to be my house, and I want to fly around in it with his little wings going like Psh, through the sky. <laughs> it's mostly because I've been watching Ahsoka, and mm. I think the gimmick of like the ship where like the wing spins is kind of stupid, but the interior space is nice on that one. Hmm. Plus, I think it'd be nice to have a big window on the ship for my for Zigster to curl up in. She's staring at me right now. She's next to the desk. Um, she's grumpy because I put her flea protection on today, which means she had to get a drop of a single drop of liquid oh. put onto her neck, and now she's Same with angry. Cleo. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the indignity, the rage. Yes. How dare I? Um, but I think that that's about time for the podcast. So unless anyone has any last minute moving castle submissions, I think it's time for us to uh, if- take it out. If scale isn't a constraint, I would live in a Venator-class Star Destroyer. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. You'd get lost going to the bathroom. Yeah, (laughs) and it'd be great. Red, take us away. (laughs) Uh, Thank you all so much for listening to the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another normal episode, and at some point with the Percy Jackson bonus episode. Stay tuned. It's going to happen. And if you're a patron, uh, hop over there because we're about to hang out for another 30 to 40 minutes and just uh, shoot the shit for the After After Show show. Uh, Considering we already had a couple like random media-based tangents in this one, I feel like it's going to be a little bit more on brand with what we were actually talking about today. (laughs) The fields Um, are ripe. (laughs) Yes. Don't don't Uh, talk talk so soon. We've never been consistent before. Very true. (laughs) Uh, Also, if you uh, have not already gotten them but you want them, the Eros and Psyche pins, once again, uh, they're currently for pre-order. They'll ship out most likely in April, uh, but they're, they're going to be real shiny when they get made. Um, the Doom Co. Designs, pink Valentine's Sun Wukong toy. That's also a thing if you want one. Uh, and I think that's basically everything that we've got. So, until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And this has been an Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on March 6th with another thrilling installment, and immediately after it, on March 13th, we're going to have an extra special bonus episode with some special guests talking all about Percy Jackson, books, movies, TV series, etc. So if you're interested, go on to Ask Pod on Discord and drop your usual questions or drop a special Percy Jackson-related question, and we'll try and get it in on that episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron for even more exclusive stuff and to help keep the lights on and Ziggy in the good cat food. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next episode.